This podcast edition of Other Side of Texas is brought to you by our friends at Flint Boot and Hat, a West Texas original. You want a great hat or you want to make your boots great again, go see them at 3035 34th Street or Flint and 34th Street in Lubbock or see more at flinthat.com. It was freezing cold in Dallas when I made my getaway. I ran a cold front when I gave my truck the reins Barreling down I-35 with one thought on my mind Forget the race, find an open space Hey there, new week right, right here on your other side of Texas Thanks for tuning in and thanks for telling all your friends more and more Your friends, your ex-lovers, your your co-workers, everybody just grab their phone. Say, hey, I need just and if it's the ex-lover, just say I need it for just a second. I'm gonna check text messages. I just wanna hook you up with the podcast of Other Side of Texas. Thanks for hanging out on this side. I'm your host, Jay West Texas Leeson. We are broadcasting from the Racer Car Wash Studios. Racer Car Wash in Lubbock voted the best wash five years running. Lots of you coming into town, coming through during football season. Those of you in town, you got lots of options to choose from. Voted Lubbock's best wash around for a reason. Guaranteed best wash there. Racerwash.com. So, lots to get into in today's program we got scott braddock coming up we're going to talk some state politics issues out there uh, like daca and some reports on school safety coming back from your texas state senate but the big story and we're going to introduce our our west texican minute uh, here in a little while but the big story out of the region and growing across west texas is Ragergate, that being the controversy surrounding Rager Dykes. We have coined it here on this program, Ragergate. Did we get that music, Daniel? You got that? Yeah. There, there's our Rager Dykes controversy. Ragergate music for you there in the background. A little bit of suspense. So where we ended on the last episode of Regergate was a court case on Friday. The judge deciding to go ahead and let Rager Dykes pay their employees for the last two weeks. 300 employees paid. I don't, I've, listen, I have so many people hitting me on this that there are competing stories. Uh, some say it's been a month some say that they were paid on time it's all over the place i'm still trying to get my hands around this rhinoceros and as it begins to make sense to me and let me just clarify in reporting on these things i'm not looking to be professional journalist i just want to utilize this platform to tell you what's going on i don't have a dog in the hunt uh, either way, the outcome, I think the more truth, uh, light is a great anesthetic, and I think that the more you have out there, uh, and those are the details we want to give you. And that's my approach. My approach is to be fair and to give you a report of what I know and what people around me know and what people who've, who've sourced to me know. But it's not to bring you to a conclusion. I, I think that things look awfully dim for Rager Dykes as it currently exists. But we can get into the details of that. On Friday, lots of people, and talking to people in the automotive industry over the weekend, really taken aback that Rager Dykes was gained access. And I've said that a formidable figure in all of this is David Langston, who is a very well nationally thought of uh, banks. He specializes in bankruptcy uh, out of Mullen, Horton, Brown, and Lubbock. And a lot of people weren't surprised that Langston got it done. They were surprised the way the clients for whom he got it done. So that's where we left off on Friday. Now, also, Thursday and Friday, I'm hearing from multiple 
people across the banking front locally and otherwise that there are half a dozen or so lawsuits headed in on Monday morning. Now things move fast and life comes at you fast in these things and as of this morning nothing had happened, nothing this afternoon but other things that you begin to hear over the weekend is that there's maybe there's a suitor in line. Maybe Maybe Rager Dykes has something lined up, and so banks kind of step back. Now, national banks that deal with leases and all the other foot, uh, feet to drop in the scenario, uh, I don't know. So, that to lead into today, and I want to talk to you about details that I've got out there, questions that I have. Uh, KMAC 28, I was going to sit down and try to write this up, and I read KMAC 28's report and, and thought it was very well put together. And it's short and succinct, and this is the latest. Again, Ford Motor Credit files a $41 million suit against Rager Dykes and could outstanding total balance of 116 million dollars if you're listening outside of the region this is a lead automobile dealership automotive dealership in west texas and has gotten that way very fast so that's the context rager dykes and ford both filed briefs monday as to why a lawsuit should or should not go forward in lubbock federal court federal district court judge will allow a portion of the lawsuit to continue but there are strings attached here we get into the nuance ford motor credit company sued a list of rager dykes companies on july 31 ford claimed that rager dykes defaulted to the tune of more than 40 million dollars a list of rager dykes companies then filed for chapter 11 bankruptcy Normally a bankruptcy, and eh, normally, with quotations, normally a bankruptcy filing would automatically put the lawsuit on hold. However, the list of Rager Dykes companies in the lawsuit did not exactly match the list of RD companies in bankruptcy. Also, and this is notable, Bart Rager and Rick Dykes co-owners did not personally file for bankruptcy but they are both named personally in the lawsuit the federal district judge district court judge already stopped the lawsuit as it pertains to Rager Dykes companies in bankruptcy but the judge last week pointed out not all of Rager Dykes entities were bankrupt and the judge ordered both sides to follow up so today on Monday the non-bankrupt portions of Rager Dykes argued that they should also be put in the lawsuit. Rager should also be put on hold in the lawsuit. Excuse me. Rager Dykes said the lawsuit would interfere with the creation of a reorganization plan in bankruptcy court. Rager Dykes then presented legal citations from other cases. Ford argued otherwise writing, quote, Ford Credit intends to pursue its claims against the non-filing Rager Dykes defendants in this action. As such, claims are not stayed by filing of Chapter 11. Ford also indicated that more legal wrangling is likely to come. So, the judge canceled the hearing that was set for this Wednesday and gave Ford a deadline of August 17 to amend its lawsuit and then the non-bankrupt Rager Dykes companies then have until August 31. So what essentially means is that we may hear some news here in oh about a week and a half and that we won't get into some real news until the end of the month. So that's where we're lined up here uh, as it stands now other entities standing back it could be creditors involved in the chapter 11 a lot of names will come forward there the names with money on the line uh, involved in that because remember in filings what was the number uh, Rager Dykes I think just had around you know I'll, I'll clarify this later I believe it was 60 60 million or so in assets and 
owed 41 and that's just to Ford and look on the bank side and other entities that have to come forward and then other extensions of Rager Dykes through real estate or through leasing or through uh, those things have to come to bear as well but some questions up front that I have just my notes here were there shell companies that were set up last week in the last couple of weeks and for what reason another question have employees 401ks been paid up have they those are things I'm going to be looking into and what about extended warranties that were bought on behalf of customers they were they sold obviously they were sold but were they purchased and those are just fair questions to ask at this point because you're beginning and the AJ's reported there'll be others that come out and say you know money was pledged to charities and there's not been follow-up um, I know that they gave away a truck through the American Cancer Society at the Cattle Bar Baron Ball uh, a week or so ago. Uh, was that truck signed and delivered? I think it was like a three-year free lease truck, I, and I don't know. But I do know this. You know, well, it's just ironic that Bart Rager's tagline was always boom, because this has certainly been a boom and will continue to boom. That's where we start off the program today. Your thoughts, 806-745-5800. You can text those in, 806-745-5800. And we're going to go to break, get in with our friend Scott Braddock. I don't think you'll want to miss what's up ahead. Stick right with us here on the other side of Texas. Johnny can't drink because Johnny ain't 21. Yeah, but he's 18 and he's pretty handy with a gun. In the areas of commercial litigation, banking, financial restructuring, employment law, and estate planning. Each week we go to our man Scott Braddock, editor of the Quorum Report, for his segment, Braddock on Texas. And here he is. How you doing, Scott Braddock? Doing well, sir. How are you? Uh, for folks who may just be tuning in one of the first times to the program, Quorum Report is widely spread amongst Texas insiders. Uh, it's they, you, Braddock, you can pitch the subscription here in just a moment. Um, Thank you. But there's not, there's hardly any state representative office, Senate office that doesn't, and statewide office that does not peruse the daily headlines and the content mm -hmm. there at Quorum Report. So he's got the skinny and he helps us put it in other side of Texas common man language. Did I get Sometimes it about right? Yes, sir. Sometimes I describe the publication as the community newspaper for the Texas Capitol. Our subscriber base is uh, some of the folks you mentioned, lawmakers, their staff, lobbyists, uh, state agencies, etc. cetera. Uh, we try to put all the information in one place for people. And I'll tell you the challenge, Jay, because it, as you know, uh, as a professional storyteller, the do is tell an audience something they already know. They'll be completely bored by that, and they'll move on. Mm -hmm. And I've got one of the most informed audiences in the state, if not the nation. That means my challenge every day is trying to you know, find out things they don't know and let them know about it. Yeah. Well, and you do a good job of it. So let's get into a couple of things here, Scott Braddock. The, it's August. Some think that there's not much going on in Texas politics, but what is going on? Braddock has for us here business groups clash in federal court this week with attorney general ken paxton over whether or not to dismantle a program that shields some young undocumented people from deportation we're talking about daca aren't we yes sir deferred action for childhood arrivals or daca has been challenged by the state of texas in federal court ken paxton the attorney general has said that it was illegally put in place by former president obama this of course is not a uh, path to citizenship or even really even legal status uh... for these undocumented young people i think there's a lot of misinformation about this and just to describe it for a second this is a program that only uh... says to those young people who sign up for it that they don't have to worry about being deported 
doesn't mean that they're now legally in the United States, and these young people understand that, uh, and that's why there is a continuing push for actual immigration reform in Washington. Uh, but Paxton and a few other state attorneys general have argued that the program itself, which just keeps them from being deported, by the way, in the meantime, they're contributing to the Texas economy and other states as well. But Paxton says it was done sort of out of order, that Congress should have passed something like this instead of President Obama doing it just with a stroke of his pen. Meantime, President through, Trump... Through an executive order, just to be yes, clear. Sir. Yeah, okay. Right. Meantime, President Trump has been unable to undo this, and part of the reason for that is that Trump has been all over the map. As you know, and as you've reported on your show, Trump... Uh, has uh, been uh, one of those who has said these kids should not have to worry and live in fear of deportation, but at other times President Trump has said that they do have to go back to their home countries and come back in. So it's been sort of a mixed message. The president also uh, said he was going to phase out the DACA program and put it on Congress, threw down a challenge, and said, look, why doesn't the legislative branch get its act together, and if they really care about these kids, pass something uh, that would be a legislative solution for these young kids, uh, which we sometimes call dreamers, these young people. Um, Congress, of course, unable to agree with themselves, uh, Republicans in Congress specifically unable to agree with themselves, and so nothing has happened on that, and so now we are in the courts. And uh, this is an interesting moment, not unlike the bathroom bill last year, where a lot of business interests rose up against Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick and said that he was wrong uh, to push that policy because it would have been detrimental to the economy business interests are actually going to federal court to oppose Paxton on Wednesday in Houston. They are arguing, and when I say they, I mean groups like the Texas Association of Business, Texas Restaurant Association, some big companies like United Airlines, Southwest Airlines, Merrick Brothers Construction, which is a big construction firm in Houston. Uh, some of these folks going to federal court to say that what the Attorney General is doing is out of line with the business interests of the state and legally there is no emergency here. I mean, this was put in place years ago under the Obama administration, and now Paxton's acting as if it's a, you know sort of an emergency that it needs to be done away with quickly. Um, Paxton on Friday um, filed a brief in federal court uh, responding to these business groups uh, in a written statement that went with that brief. Paxton said the TAB and others, TAB being Association of Business, and others falsely claimed in their amicus brief that the DACA lawsuit seeks deportation of all DACA recipients. In his response brief, Attorney General Paxton again points out that the lawsuit, in fact, asks the court to halt new applications and renewals while the case proceeds, does not call for revoking existing DACA status for those who already have a two-year permit. In their brief, the business interests had said uh, that what the Attorney General is doing is basically sidelining these young folks uh, from participating fully in the economy they noted that DACA recipients are projected to contribute about $244.7 million in Texas taxes this year alone. They said in the brief, quote, enjoining the DACA initiative would damage the Texas economy by forcing Texas dreamer consumers to the sidelines and reducing the revenues of Texas business. So we'll see what a judge thinks about this. Uh, potentially this week, although he might take a little more uh, take a little more time to yeah. come down with a ruling. Well, I just uh, to go 20,000 feet above, like any program in government, once you ring that bell, it's hard to unring it. And That's in particular, true. there are all sorts of ins, not just a change in administration, but I know of of DACA recipients whose sponsors have since died whenever you say years ago so what happens there's all sorts of cracks but so far it's the political angle in it scott braddock you know will heard congressman will heard on this program last week uh, said look um it was an executive order and it was never passed by law through the congress because it was never bipartisan enough and he said that he and others are trying to put something together. But this case goes to court in Houston this week. This case goes to court in Houston this week, and, you know, there have already been some uh, cases uh, in which DACA has been litigated. Um, and, in fact, uh, I think as you were mentioning there, I'm sorry, the phone was breaking up, you may have mentioned that the um, that one court did say that uh, the president needed to fully reinstate DACA, um, and what, what happens is, with these cases, uh, you know, in a broader sense, is that it, w when you have these uh, 
appellate court, we have uh, federal courts around the country and then appellate courts uh, that may make different decisions about the same facts or about the same fact pattern. Uh, and then once you have different uh, appellate courts uh, making different decisions about the same set of facts, that's how you end up with a Supreme Court uh, case, uh, because at that point it would be up to the Supreme Court to be the final arbiter of what's actually the law. Yeah. So in politics, I should say. in politics, and specifically within campaign seasons, let's move over to the Texas Senate race, Beto O'Rourke and Ted Cruz. It doesn't matter whether it's at the county level, the city level, or the national level. People can say what they will about polls and disregard polls, but it all comes down to the money, doesn't Scott Braddock? And whenever you begin to see campaign ad buys, you can tell what internal polling really suggests. Ted Cruz up with a big bid in TV money. Uh, what does that say? Well, I'm not sure that he's up with a big bid. Did you see any uh, numbers on those television buys? I know that he uh, did buy some advertising, I believe, in your neighborhood in Lubbock uh, and also in uh, down in the Golden Triangle uh, down uh, in uh, the Beaumont area uh, this past week. Um, a lot of times at this point in the election cycle, and remember we're in August, so when you see these polls come out uh, that say that you know, uh, O'Rourke is nipping at Cruz's heels, and he's only behind him by, you know, by, he's two points down, uh, or you see one that says that he's six points down. Um, it's And pollsters will admit this, by the way. It's really difficult at this juncture to figure out what a likely voter looks like and who a likely voter is. Uh, in a lot of cases, we're talking about people who are self-identified likely voters, mm-hmm. or even sometimes self-identified voters, <laughs> self-identified registered voters. When I say self-identified, that just means that they say that they are. Mm-hmm. So uh, some of this polling can be unreliable. Uh, but look, uh, Cruz was uh, at a conservative event over the weekend in Austin, this resurgent event, uh, which was hosted by this, uh, uh, what some people have described as a con artist, Eric Erickson. Oh, uh, he's who, not that who, bad. Well, he's he's one who has uh, been saying that he's a never-Trump guy for a long time, and all of a sudden he's figured out that's not good for his career. Oh, uh, well, so then that's fair. Yes, he's moving back toward the um, sometimes Trump category, I think, based on some of what he's been tweeting. Uh, But look, Cruz told uh, Erickson, and he also said at some other events uh, this past weekend, that, look, he's taking his uh, race very seriously, deadly seriously, I think was the quote. Um, And this is, uh, you can read it one of two ways. One way is is to think, uh, actually, he he really does, uh, you know, have some concern that O'Rourke may beat him. Uh, but the way I read this is it is a, it is a long-standing um, Republican uh, and, and effective, by the way, campaign tactic uh, to, in Texas, claim that the Democrats are coming. George Soros is getting ready to overwhelm our elections and, and put Democrats in office, and that blue wave is coming. Um, at the very same event, uh, the day before, at this Eric Erickson event in Austin, uh, Governor Abbott uh, had said, without hesitation, Texas is going to stay red. Of course, he has a very different race uh, uh, against a candidate who has not been successful in raising money or getting uh, a lot of people all that excited about her in Lupe Valdez, the former sheriff from Dallas County. Who? Exactly. That's right. And so, right. So um, his race is different, um, but they're running on the same ballot. So, you know, I'm still sort of in the camp of those who think that even though you probably have uh, Governor Abbott who's going to outperform other Republican office holders on the statewide ticket, I would still think that most of these, uh, almost all of these statewide races will finish about the same, uh, because we still have one-punch straight ticket voting in this state. And so uh, whatever lip, you know, whatever lifts one Republican, and by the way, Abbott has already locked in about $22 million worth of spending. The big buy for TV is the $16 million that Abbott has already reserved in television all, all across the state. Um, it's sort of like the bank of Greg Abbott, because, you know, if he doesn't use some of that airtime, he can get that money back because he's booked the time in advance, uh, something that was done in 2014 to the tune of about yeah. uh, $10 million. Um, look, uh, Cruz is making this noise because I think he wants more outside money uh, to be coming in from outside of Texas, which, uh, you know, he is going to get. He's going to have for, uh, for him Heritage or Foundation for... and other, no, Heritage Foundation and others coming in, uh, you know, to prop up his uh, bid for re-election. Uh, and I'm sure he'll get that. Yeah. Well, Abbott would be the exception to follow the money in the campaigns to figure out where a campaign really thinks it is. It seems to me with Abbott that uh, he may have 2020 on his mind. 
uh, in expanding his brand. Uh, but that's just me. I, I, I'm sure he oh, you're doesn't. You're not alone. He doesn't have a lot much. of folks who think so. And I would uh, let me go back to my initial question. I assumed from high on the Texas Plains up on the Cap Rock that if there were bids being made like are being made up here, then Cruz is about to spend a lot of money. That's not necessarily the case, and that's why we get some perspective down from the Beltway from Scott Braddock at Scott Braddock on Twitter. Let's go to guns for just a minute. Uh, people sure. think that. Uh, the legislature's just in session six about six months every two years really they have interim committees working constantly it seems one of those has looked at the santa fe shootings and school safety following that shooting uh, what is the report on that panel summarize it for us braddock uh, the senate select committee on violence and Schools and Safety issued their report this after this morning, uh, saying that uh, there need to be more school counselors, social workers, psychology specialists, and something they called uh, mental health first aid training for uh, employees of ISDs all across the state. Mm -hmm. But they took a pass on something that Governor Abbott had asked them to look at, which is the potential of something called a red flag law. Basically, the short version of that, of course, is uh, that uh, a person might be adjudicated uh, to be a danger to themselves or others and then a weapon could be removed from that person. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick has said that any bill like that would die in the Texas Senate. This panel didn't really address that at all. However, they said that they would be open to clarifying some of the laws uh, around uh, you know, who, who can have their weapons seized from them if they're a domestic abuser or something like that. Yeah. Uh, this does come, for greater context, this does come after a former Senate staffer, a guy named Charles Curry, showed signs of some instability and went on a shooting spree in Austin, killed one person, injured two others, um, and uh, it was documented in the Austin American Statesman. We have the link at quorumreport.com. Uh, it was reported a couple of weeks ago uh, that uh, one of the senator's offices had been so concerned about this guy after he had been fired uh, that they called the Department of Public Safety and asked them if they could keep a lookout for this guy. They didn't want him uh, anywhere near their office. Uh, quote, and this is one of the emails from uh, the senator's office, they said, they feel the subject is trying to intimidate them and his actions were erratic and sometimes demanding, uh, made a lot of... Uh, a lot of uh, made a lot of moves that uh, you know had these folks describing him as unstable uh and so there is going to be a lot of discussion around the fact that uh the senate uh has had its own experience now with someone who did display some potentially violent behavior uh and then is steering clear of these red flag laws because lieutenant governor patrick says it's not a good idea in the meantime uh, governor abbott after initially saying that the lawmakers ought to look at this uh, after Patrick call, uh, you know, poured cold water on it, Abbott basically said, well, I'll see what they come up with, and then I'll have more to say about it. Hmm. So you've taken some heat on this, as you've reported it, and from the Charles Curry angle, uh, what do you say to people who've come out uh, blasting you, for lack of a better term? Well, I've had some folks uh, who are Second Amendment uh, advocates, and, you know, I'm not against the Second Amendment, but some people who are very adamantly, uh, you know, uh, activists on the issue have said that, ah, this doesn't uh, matter, it doesn't mean anything, you know, that this uh, guy was uh, showing such erratic behavior in the Senate. Um, and, uh, in fact, one uh, Tea Party leader out of North Texas uh, asked the question, uh, how many staffers act like this all the time at the Texas Capitol? And I can tell you that um, that is not the norm, that you have uh, people who work in Senate or House offices uh, who feel the need to call the Department of Public Safety to keep a former staffer out of their office because they're acting hmm. erratic. Uh, it uh, would seem to it would seem to uh, indicate that um, th that they thought that this guy was a real danger. If they're calling, and let's be clear, when they call the DPS, they're calling the cops for their own safety. Uh, that that's why they would alert DPS to somebody acting erratically. So uh, it absolutely does. Uh, matter in this discussion no question scott braddock quorum report once again braddock on texas check it out It'll be up on our podcast share with a friend thank you scott braddock apologies for the phone no problem there jay thank you very much talk soon all right buddy i'm a shoe shine man a number one in the land a shoe shine man
Make you shine where you stand Leave me a tip if you can I'm a shoe shine man Well I can sing, I can dance I can play the harmonica too Howdy, Jay. West Texas Leeson here. I'm going to tell you about my friends at Flint Boot and Hat. They've been building hats since 1994 and repairing boots, I guess, since forever. My dog chewed up my ostrich boots. Jared and his guys replaced the heel, made them look new again, put new pulls on, and at a super affordable price, they've resold my boots, and they build great hats. Love these guys. Go check them out. 3035. 34th Street or Flint Boot and Hat Shop at Flint and 34th Street. See more at FlintHat.com. Molded out of red clay and baked in the West Texas sun to perfection is the other side of Texas with Jay Leeson. Lord, it's the same old tune, fiddle and guitar. Where do we take it from here? Hey, welcome back into the program. Want to get into a news portion here on the other side of Texas, get you three or four headlines that I'm looking at, maybe not super seriously, but looking at nonetheless. So here's a question. The boy comes to you and says, Dad, I want to be... And let me just say dad, because we know what the demos are on the program. But maybe mom. The boy comes and says, I really want to be a cheerleader. And that's one of those dad moments. You get about ten of those critical moments where it's not, why is the sky not green? Or dad, was was the TV, was the world black and white when you were a boy and one day there just became color? No, this is, dad, I'd like to be a cheerleader. What do you think? The Beaumont News, uh, Beaumont Enterprise, says, uh, I was looking at this article earlier. Unlike other athletes, Kyler Karen will be performing splits and leading the crowd in its favorite chance. A sophomore is the school's only male cheerleader, uh, and it will be on the junior varsity cheer team for the first time. Football season coming up kids in pads and and um, others in gym shorts uh, male cheerleaders are common on the college level but participate they are ask rick perry precipitation <laughs> precipitation participation remains low at high schools because of lack of opportunities the physical rigors and public perceptions which is why the beaumont enterprise is writing the story Southeast Texas has only a handful of male high school cheerleaders, and nationally less than 1% are participants. Uh, less than 1% of participants in 2016 and 2017 were male. Um, until the story of another boy at Beaumont United. He got involved in cheer as a way to stay in shape after six years of competing in dance. He said that he endured on uncomfortable glances his first few weeks cheering at his school uh, although they have faded they still bother him the stereotype they quote the boy and the stereotype at high school is that cheerleading is a girls sport not a lot of people are used to seeing a guy in there with the girls which then begs the question what's your response dad because I've thought about this and I'm I'm old school in this regard that I really do believe that my boys are going to uh, treasure their covenant partner in the way that I have mine. I'm presenting a model for them. And my daughter is going to seek a husband who treats her like I've treated her mother and speaks of her like I speak of her mother. Now... With those conservative precepts to the side, I gotta say, I'm looking at my boy and I'm scanning his eyes, kind of like Larry David, and I'm just looking in his eyes real closely, and I step up and I'm three inches from his eyes, and I'm just scanning, and I'm thinking, what's what's his mental status right now? 
because if he's in an identity mode and i was talking with a buddy about this earlier but if if he's in an identity quest mode the answer is no if i see enough in his eyes to want to continue the conversation i say why and if any point if the immediate answer is dad just think about it then i'm probably going to be on board because then he's going to talk to me about immersion with the ladies in the van and that he's just trying to up his game now he ought to be on the football field but if he's going to be somewhere else and he's a teenage boy sometimes you got to let wild horses run and uh i'm probably going to be okay with that so uh from what i read in the article these boys no my boys maybe but they ought to present a pretty good argument it's uh it's all about position and uh boys thinking ahead on that hey uh, does the city of lubbock is uh, speaking from lubbock but lots of cities are looking at this right now and towns for that matter the question posed by matt dotre in the lubbock avalanche journalist weekend does lubbock need four libraries mayor pro tim jeff griffith who will be on this program as we enter tomorrow asked this question when discussing libraries as they looked at the next budget and said that they need to begin to put this uh, into their brain session as they meet in October. Dotre says materials circulated in library attendance have dropped in recent years. In fiscal year 2014-15, attendance was 513,000, 513,500,000, and then in 17 and 18, it was estimated to be at 412,000. Now, I don't know what the drop is there. I can account for at least one library that's moved out of a lot of the public's reach. And I don't want to get in the local weeds, but it used to be close to the mall. Now it's like way out wherever. That was a former council's decision, by the way. Uh, Griffith said libraries need to be more attractive and suggested more of a focus on technology. He said maybe there needs to be one large central library instead of four across the city. One central. Now, look, I was reading a story today in the Dallas News about how we've composited all of these. Uh, we've we've essentially taken all these dmvs and then put up big central locations the thought was efficiency uh, it's proven not to be as efficient now on the converse but still connected to this discussion is one central location may not be accessible to a lot of people and what happens then now on the other side you know there's a whole digital conversation but you still have to feel good about a place whenever a kid can go in who's interested in dinosaurs and maybe doesn't have internet and doesn't have access but is still interested and can just sit down on the floor of four or five books. Or maybe that, that uneducated 30-year-old who wants to up his game and doesn't want to just sit around and get sidetracked by Facebook all night long while he's trying to recover some ground it's about accessibility of knowledge and to put out their internet now we'll hear we'll we'll have a good conversation with pro tim griffith tomorrow but for now i'd be i'd be reluctant to set off access uh, if the public wants it to a library's goods now moving on here in the news segment marriage is made in hell think about a couple of those I'm thinking about Cruella DeVille hooks up with Professor Snape from Harry Potter. Alex Forrest from Fatal Attraction with Skeletor. Wicked Witch of the West and Tommy Tuberville. Maybe my dad's third marriage. All marriages made in hell. But none of those beat this scenario, which is potentially, a, a, according to Fox News Real Life, late Al-Qaeda leader... Osama bin Laden's half-brothers told the Guardian that his son wants to avenge his dead terrorist dad and marry the daughter of Muhammad Adda, an Egyptian national who hijacked 
and flew the first plane that crashed in the World Trade Center in 2001, the first blow in the 9-11 assault. Quote, we have heard he has married the daughter of Muhammad Adda. Some guy with a lot of names I don't even want to say. And then he continues, we're not sure he has, but it could be in Afghanistan. So potentially they are married, the marriage from hell. The half-brother did not offer more details about the reported marriage or where he received the information about the nuptials. Ada's personal life has remained mostly shrouded in mystery. Uh, the hijacker was reportedly never married, and there were no past mentions of his children. But the virgins now, apparently, according to myth, know about Muhammad Ada. Or maybe he just knows his way around hell and then to close it out i appreciate emails that i got giving me hints on best ways to access cowboys tickets we're going to two cowboys games this year me and the leeson boys and which sets up this from ezekiel elliott via the dallas morning news two different stories in the same statement in two different ways i want to touch on this for just a second and this is regarding the national anthem us as a team we chose to stand together for the national anthem it was our decision i just think it shows our culture it shows that we have unity we're going to stand as one that's not knocking anyone else who may choose to kneel during the national anthem but we're the dallas football cowboys american I like that dallas football cowboys america's team we stand for the national anthem of course this on reports by jerry jones from jerry jones that players would be suspended if they did anything but stand toe on the line for the national anthem repeats it in another interview i think there's a lot of ruckus about it it being the national anthem but at the end of the day us as a team decided to stand for the national anthem and that's that and that's what it should be i think there's a lot of narrative out there that we should stand for the national anthem because someone said you have to stand for the national anthem or you're off the team that's not why we stand for the national anthem we stand for the national anthem because we're a team and that's what we do it's just our culture just like every sunday you guys know that we're going to come out and try to establish the run you guys know every sunday we're going to come out and stand for the national anthem and that's just us we're the cowboys now this whole national anthem thing and the way that football has gotten injected in the middle of all this craziness that most of us try to avoid as much of the time as we can six dozen six one way half dozen the other um that it's a way to invoke some random it's almost like making a it's like getting being a kid at also and getting a suicide drink you just like we're going to take this concoction of all these elements and put them together and then take a big swig and kneel and you know on the other side of it which is the side that i'm on this is all just false pretense if you got a real problem with cop on black crime then you need to read some data and go through it to figure out exactly how much of the time that happens and then look at race on race crime and kind of step away from that suicide drink don't take such a big swig sit back and reevaluate things and that's the first point and i could do a whole show about this but my other point is this if you got a real problem with the way local police brutality is going down or or murders or whatever it is is the cause that says you're gonna you're gonna kneel and raise a fist up in the air then kneel at the city flag or the county flag or the state flag because those are the cases in which these things are tried this is not a federal even even barack obama kneeling during the obama administration is the tale of the tape with loretta lynch i mean it just shows it shows that it's an unneeded controversy and I can understand the NFL. Now, I can understand the NFL wanting to do away with it. But here's my other deal. And this is on the unpopular decision side of the semicolon and all this. What are we doing? I mean, what are we doing doing the national anthem at football games? Like, has, have we asked ourselves that question? Like, is 
football so much a part of this constitution of the United States of America that we need to we just need to stand up and sing it at every event and I don't know like I didn't do it during Saving Private Ryan but I can tell you so far as a sports or not sports but an entertainment event and venue that was one moment when I was younger when I was more proud because of something through entertainment not through history not Francis Scott Key and how we came up with the song in the first place not in my history where and that's where the deep tides of patriotism begin to turn in one's soul one's heart but saving private ryan we didn't stand up and do uh the national anthem before or after but i would have done it just then i just we just need to step back and i don't know why that is like a sacrosanct but if we're going to have people who are ignorant enough to believe and extrapolate local regional and state problems upon that flag at those games then maybe you ought to step back and not do it anymore that's just that's just my take and you might disagree glad to hear from you if you do jay the other side of texas but uh, that uh, leads up our news uh as promised the west texican minute coming up plenty more well not plenty more but you want to stick around for that as we close out this edition of your other side of texas coming up about 90 seconds from now stick with us right here on am 580 lubbock other side of texas.com This is what happens when your mother drops you on your head one too many times. Welcome back to The Other Side with Jay Leeson. carry on with you this segment today the west texican minute let me close out with this if you're new to the program what i talk about a lot is seeing politics through the lens of your place and you may not agree with your place hopefully you do agree and you want to see your place carry on i think that's the whole point of representative government that we'd like to see this little endeavor up here on the cap rock or in north texas or way down south texas wherever you might be listening we'd like to see this little uh, venture carry on we'd like to see us represented in a way that helps meet our needs where i live i see it through a rural lens by and large even though i live in the rural metropolis that there's a need for education higher and in public education for the medical industry both of which education and medical top employers in communities like mine and also with agriculture now here's the problem you can be as conservative as the day is is long but you need to check where you're standing and compare it with national trends and I don't know I hate to break this to you but education healthcare access and agriculture aren't on the forefront of conservative lead leading issues so that to say i'm not a devotee of either party and though i lean republican thus west texacan and not west texacrat i take my place over the party every day of the week someone who knows something of place perhaps more than anybody anywhere at any time that man's name was uh george washington he had this to say quote they and this is political parties serve to organize faction to give it an artificial and extraordinary force to put in the place of the delegated will of the nation the will of a party 
often a small but artful and enterprising minority of the community and according to alternate triumphs of different parties to make the public administration the mirror of the ill-concerted and encourages projects of faction rather than the organ of consistent and wholesome plans digested by common councils and modified by mutual interest this again why we need libraries right here and it's this paragraph that i want to draw out for you that george washington somewhere is smiling and saying that old leeson he can't tell a lie because he's thinking just like me whenever he talks about west texicans However, political parties may now and then answer popular ends. They are likely in the course of time and things to become potent engines by which cunning, ambitious, and unprincipled men will be enabled to subvert the power of the people and to usurp for themselves the reins of government destroying afterwards the very engines which have lifted them to unjust dominion and for any of you let me put that in context and say it another way george washington is feeling for you right now brothers and sisters all you brothers and sisters whatever county you live in whether it be texas or otherwise he feels for you that politicians heed to this small group of people whether they have jobs or not i'm not sure i can speak more plainly to lubbock county but i don't want to draw out a big huge generalization but a bunch of activists who by and large don't enjoy life and want to be upset about something and they have taken over the levers of local government and everyone knows you don't necessarily have to kiss well you don't necessarily have to kiss the rings but you do have to kiss other things in order to be elected they don't answer to the people at large they answer to political parties at the local and other levels and i defy it and that's the spirit behind this program want to thank you for tuning into this program we will be back with you and i hope you uh enjoyed it hope you share it with friends uh, too late to get to those texts sorry try that next time around until next time i'm gonna get home gotta get home and above average dinner because we're on this uh diet plan right now They're really above average everything's with vinegar and broccoli and chicken it seems like but a great family waiting for me uh, you can check us out other side of texas.com at ostx show on twitter and then other side of texas there on facebook we'll see you tomorrow right here broadcasting from an independent run studio for buddy holly got famous right here on am 580 other side of texas